Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Joel. I'm uh, one of the pastors at Holy Trinity Church, and uh, I help lead Faith and Work Chicago um, and participate in, in Lunch and Learns. Uh, this is our second week doing a virtual Lunch and Learn. So you are providing your own lunch. Um, it's more like dot, 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 learn, because you can just decide what you're doing right now. Uh, we're not make, making you have, you have lunch right now. We're really glad you guys are all, are all here. Um, the other people that, that lead Faith and Work alongside with me, um, or more like out from me, are Melissa and Sully. Uh, so Melissa will be the, the primary one talking today, speaking on the topic of grief. And uh, Sully is the one moving back and forth with um, someone who's much better looking than him, his son Callahan. Uh, who, who's right there. So he's got a big smile on his face right now. But yeah, we're, we're really glad you guys are all here. Um, we uh, are in a series that we've called dot, dot, dot in a global pandemic. So one of the things that we really try to do in Lunch and Learns is essentially tackle topics as head on as we kind of can, that often don't get discussed or talked about as explicitly as we think that they should, um, but that we know we're all wrestling with. So one thing you're really wrestling with is what does it mean to live right now? How, how, do we, how do we actually do things within a global pandemic? And how do we apply different aspects of scripture in this new and unprecedented time for, for us? So last week we talked about what does it look like to actually rejoice right now? Um, so if we are called to in scripture rejoice at all times, how do we actually do that? Um, and this week we're going to talk about what does it mean uh, to grieve? Uh, how, how do we actually process through what we have lost? And so Melissa is going to be talking about that. Obviously, it's, this is going to be a pretty emotional topic. Um, uh, I think for, for Melissa, for, for all of us, as we are all, we've all experienced probably loss in some kind of way and others in, in more extreme ways. Uh, I saw one of my friends had a great write-up yesterday about how we keep on saying we're all going through the same experience right now. And she said, that's not true. We are not all experiencing the same thing right now. We're all experiencing the same event right now, but it's affecting all of us very differently. We're experiencing different things, uh, which means we're grieving different things. We're going through different things. And Melissa's going to help us process through how do we do that um, uh, re really well. But uh, Melissa, it's okay, okay if I pray and then hand it off to you? Sounds good. Yeah, so let, let's, let's pray. Father, we know that you um, have called on us to grieve the difficulties of life. Father, you have entire books in your word that are spent with lament and crying out to you and grieving loss and grieving confusion and grieving difficulty um, and yet still looking to you. We ask that you would help us to know how to do that. I pray for my sister Melissa right now. She um, helps us think through these kinds of things that you would use her to guide us um, and process this so that we actually might know how to lament um, while being faithful to you, how to cry out to you, how to grieve what has been taken away and what you have taken away in so many ways. Um, yeah, may, may, may you use Melissa for your glory right now. I pray as, as uh, the emotions overrun some of us, uh, that you would kind of keep um, uh, as steady at least to, to continue just to process these things, not to bury the emotions, but to embrace them as we, as we seek to understand how we do this faithfully. Uh, we thank you for who you are in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> well, it is, yeah, good to see you guys. And as Joel said, we're really talking about <clears throat> ways that we can respond by faith in this time, whether that's rejoicing or longing, um, even lamenting that we're going to talk about today, I think really takes uh, an act of faith. <clears throat> and I want to say, just to start off with, like, I don't feel in any way like I I am an expert in this uh, subject at all. <clears throat> I feel like I'm just scratching the surface on my own journey, learning what it looks like to grieve and lament. Um, <clears throat> and I don't, I don't think that in any way my experience is harder than others or as bad as others, um, whether that's in life or in Corona. Um, <clears throat> I know the journey that a lot of you are on, even on this call, and I know it's long and painful and. Like Joel said, there are different pieces and pain for each of us. Um, I think that one of the, the troubles that we can get into, though, is that we can compare with others. Um, we can compare our pain to others, and that can lead us in two directions. We can either think, we can either minimize our own pain because we think, well, you know, what I'm going through isn't 
nearly as bad as what somebody else I know is going through. Um, <clears throat> or, and that, and that really leads us to, to stuffing it and not thinking about it or dealing with it or, um, yeah, processing it all. Or we can think, uh, we can minimize other people's pain and we can think, well, they have no idea what it's like to go through what I'm going through. Um, and that can really lead us to bitterness and, and not caring for other people. And so I think that, um, you know, neither one of those things get us anywhere when we try to compare the, the load maybe that we're bearing or the grief that we have. Um, <clears throat> and I think really that there's a, you know, a third way, another response um, where we really journey together in our pain and that we, we carry each other's burdens without comparing um, and really bring that to the heart of our father. Um, and so, <clears throat> like I said, I don't, I don't uh, claim to, I'm, I'm just walking on this road with you and, and want to share a little bit about um, even really what I've been learning in the last couple of weeks. Um, so to give some context, and uh, for some of you, you might have read, <clears throat> excuse me, a blog post that I wrote, because this kind of what really started even this whole process. Um, so I'm going to share some from that already. But then really the bulk of what I want to share with you um, is uh, what I've been learning about how to lament <clears throat> in this season. Um, but by way of background, uh, just over a month ago, I was in Dublin, Ireland on a trip that was actually with Faith and Work Chicago. Um, there were 10 of us that met up there um, for this trip that we'd been planning and looking forward to for months. We were actually supposed to see Maddie and Jake, her husband, who's joining us from Ireland right now. Um, but myself and another friend um, had actually traveled prior to coming to Dublin. So we'd been in Lisbon, <clears throat> we'd been in Am Amsterdam prior to getting to Dublin. Um, on a March 12th, uh, which was about five days under our time in Ireland, I woke up at 1.30 in the morning to my phone buzzing like crazy. And at least a dozen friends and family members who were like frantically trying to get a hold of me and say, you need to get on the next plane back to the US. Um, you might remember the night that our, uh, our president made kind of a confusing announcement about there being a ban going into effect in 48 hours for people who were traveling back from Europe. Um, and I, it was confusing what that meant, um, <clears throat> but kind of knew suddenly that the trip I'd been planning and looking forward to um, that was actually supposed to still go through Spain uh, was about to be over. Um, <clears throat> and on top of that, I actually had been sick. I'd been sick for about a week um, the day that I arrived in Dublin. Um, I was getting worse and worse and uh, had consulted the national COVID-19 hotline in Ireland. Um, they had assured me that I didn't meet the criteria for testing, um, but I, I was really concerned. I actually had a, um, I had a really bad cough. I'd been really run down. Um, I, I think that I had a fever at some point, um, and I really just had not felt well for much of our time that we were in Ireland. Um, and so, yeah, it felt like a wise decision to, to just head for home. Uh, half of us ended up purchasing pretty expensive flights to get back. Uh, we packed really fast. We said goodbye. It was a whirlwind, um, and we rushed to the airport, and it was like suddenly we were on our way home. Um, I, I was felt shocked, kind of disoriented, so disappointed. Um, again, that, yeah, we had plans to see Maddie, had plans to see other friends in Spain. Um, it, it was, yeah, it was really sad um, to leave and confusing. Um, but honestly, it turned out the chaos was actually just about to begin. <laughs> um, <clears throat> by the time that I got home, most of my other travel mates had actually started showing symptoms of the coronavirus as well. Um, it was it was really confusing. I made every effort to try to get tested. Um, if you guys hear stories about how hard it is to get tested, it was even harder um, in that first week or so. Um, finally, was able to you know it was a like one day I couldn't get tested. The next day I did. Uh, one day I was told that my results wouldn't be read even at all, and the next day they were. Um, and in between all of that, we found out that two of the people that we traveled with had actually tested positive. <clears throat> And so I was really confused, honestly, when um, my test results came back and they said that they were negative. Um, my ER doctor had even said, like, given your symptoms and exposure to positive cases, uh, if your test comes back negative, I think it would be a false negative. Um, but really at that point, there wasn't anything else to do. Um, by that time, the whole state was heading into experiencing the quarantine that I'd been doing from home for the previous week at that point. Um, so really, it just meant continuing to do what I was doing, 
quarantine, I took medicine. Um, I don't know if I talked to some of you guys in that time, but, <laughs> but it was like I could hardly talk. I was, I was coughing most of the time, struggling with um, uh, shortness of breath. Um, yeah, coughing a lot, but uh, tried to control the symptoms, uh, was communicating with everybody I knew. And really at that point it was like, well, I guess we'll just start working. Um, it was, yeah, I was tired from the ups and downs. I was disappointed from the trip. Um, and then suddenly really busy, as I'm sure all of you have been experiencing, um, trying to figure out Zoom calls and, and new work rhythms and all that was going on. Um, so the previous weeks, uh, I, I was discovering were taking their toll again, just in being exhausted. Um, <clears throat> but there were a lot deeper things that were going on in my heart. And I think for me, it really came out one night I just started thinking about things that I missed and they were silly things, but it kind of started off with just wanting to, to be hugged. <laughs> um, just missing that touch. I miss my family. I missed dumb things like walking to the L and going, um, getting on the blue line that I hate, which is always packed uh, at the time I need to commute. Um, I missed our office for those of you who have been there. There's this tiny little white room and I hate it. And we meet in there way too much. And I just started, I, I missed it. I was like, I want the chance to, to hate this room again. <laughs> Don't know if I ever will. <clears throat> I missed my friends, coworkers. I missed sitting around the table together and laughing. I missed projects that I'd been in the middle of working on. Uh, I think that night I also emailed Joel and Sully because I missed them. I wanted to tell them. Um, but I cried a lot that night. I cried for a long time. <clears throat> it was a little bit of a wake up for me. I think that that night is when I actually identified a, a real emotion <laughs> beyond just like tired or busy or confused. Uh, I realized that I'm sad. I, I was sad. I am sad. Um, really sad. And I think from that point, sort of grief started coming in wave, waves um, that I couldn't really like intellectualize or spiritualize my way out of. Um, at some point I realized that I had just been like waiting to get back to normal life. Um, I wanted to believe that this was like a momentary interruption. Um, and I just needed to hold on and then, you know, I could get back to what I was doing. <laughs> um, but I think that night was when I, I sort of started to, to come to terms with the fact that maybe we, we wouldn't ever go back to what I considered normal life. Uh, maybe it wasn't interruption. Maybe it was how life is going to be now. <laughs> And I think those thoughts um, started rolling over me in waves that just were waves of grief. Um, I wanted, I think I still want <laughs> to go back to how life was. Um, I remember in the next day, I think actually I woke up and saw a title of a Harvard Business Review article. And it was, uh, the title was that discomfort you're feeling is grief. And um, I kind of chuckled to myself because I was like, yes, that is what that's called. And I kind of wondered like how many other people need to be reminded of what that feeling is called. Um, because for a lot of us, I think we were or are even kind of just in survival mode right now. Um, there's not really space to identify our emotions um, or either frantically, you know, going from one news story to the next or um, connecting with friends who are going through things or, or yeah, what's going on in our own lives. Um, or we're just, we're just working and we're busy and work feels the same from the morning, minute you wake up in the morning until you go to sleep. I feel like I'm always on Zoom. Um, but yeah, so I think we're in survival mode and the, the article was helpful. <clears throat> you can take the time to read it. But I think what I, what I was aware of is that what I, I really needed to do was to cry out to the Lord. I really needed to come to him with my grief. And I was thinking that much like being busy or just confused, we're masking sort of deeper emotions that I had of sadness. Um, but that self-medicating and sort of just thinking about when things will be better, um, which is what the world tells us to do a lot. Uh, we're really only offering shallow solutions and, a momentary respite to how I was really doing kind of deep in my heart. Um, I think that the Lord wants us to cry out to him from those places that are deep and, and painful, the places that feel too dark, that we're afraid to go. <clears throat> I started thinking about the biblical call to lament. And again, that there is an entire book uh, of laments or songs of grief is what they really are um, that have a place in the word of God. 
uh, as well as a third of the Psalms are, are Psalms of lament. And I think I, I don't do lament well. Um, it's something I am aware of, and I know people who are, who are good at it, but it's not really something that I had dug into very much prior to this. Um, because I think like, yeah, a lot of us, I, I don't want to be sad. I want to move on to things that, um, that feel better or that offer um, levity when things feel so heavy. Um, I want to find ways that to fix uh, which that which is painful. Um, but I think what I'm realizing is that uh, there is time. And for me, this feels like time um, to sit in my grief and recognize it um, for more than just kind of a fleeting minute. Um, and that I, I need to bring to the surface all of the things that I'm afraid of and all of the things that I'm sad about, all of the things that I feel like I've lost. And I know it's not objectively true. I don't know how you guys feel, but I feel like every day there's something is lost. Like everything is lost at times is what it feels like. Um, there's a lot to grieve. Um, yeah, just yesterday, uh, we experienced a dear friend who said goodbye to her dad on the phone before they put him on a ventilator in the ICU, uncertain if he will come out of it. Um, every new day, there's something uh, that's really sad and, um, and that we're grieving. Um, I weep every time I see news stories, even people I don't know who, uh, who are dying alone and friends and family uh, unable to be by their side, funerals that happen with dozens of people at once and nobody there, mass graves that they were digging in New York, uh, mothers and fathers who are separated from their family for like a month because they might have been exposed to the virus. <clears throat> uh, and then we begin to think about even just the unemployment numbers and the disparity on the south and west sides that people are going through. But there are also personal losses, um, just naming them, you know, friends that I want to see and hug, uh, plans that I had to see my family. I Actually, I realized today I should have been on a plane to California for a trip that had been planned. Um, I have a lot of fears about my finances, about my parents' finances, about their health, um, and then really the deep, dark fears that things will never be okay again. Um, and so I began to read more in the book of Psalms that scripture can give words to our pain, uh, even when we struggle to do so ourselves. Mark Rogop, uh, who's a pastor in Indianapolis, calls lament a minor key language for our suffering. Um, again, I mentioned that about a third of the book of Psalms are Psalms of lament, which means that a third of the songbook of Israel wrestles with pain. Um, Many of these things, you know, help give words to our confusion and fears, our questions, um, <clears throat> and remind me that it's okay to ask the Lord, like along with David, who says, how long will you forget me forever? Um, because that's what it feels like sometimes. Um, I mentioned Mark Rogop. He wrote a book called Dark Clouds, Deeper Mercy, um, which I would really recommend. And it's been a really helpful guide for me in the last few weeks as I'm just trying to learn how to do this. Um, he pointed out a pattern in the Lament Psalms um, that I've actually been trying to follow myself. Um, he says that it, it involves one, turning to God, bringing our complaint, asking boldly for help, and choosing to trust. And so those categories of turn, complain, ask, and trust, I'm just going to walk through a little bit more. Um, <clears throat> I want to say definitely uh, from the outset that a lot of what I'm going to share right now is comes from him and, and his book. Um, and so I don't take credit for, um, for it. Like I said, it's, it's been helpful to me. And so I just want to share it with you. Um, <clears throat> I've been working on trying to write out and pray some of my own prayers of lament in the past couple of weeks. Um, because really, I think I'm, I'm trying not to rush the process of grieving, which I'm prone to do. Um, it feels hard to do in this time because like I said, every day feels like there's something new to lament. Um, <clears throat> but I'm really trying to learn this, uh, this language given to us um, for lament. Uh, Mark actually refers to it. I, I really like this <clears throat> phrase and I'll, I'll probably say it a couple more times, but he says, 
But lament is the language of a people who believe in God's sovereignty, but live in a world with tragedy. And I think that's a really helpful way to understand lament. Um, so that first, you know, the first part, which was turn, um, that is the idea that lament begins with an invitation to turn to God while we're in pain. Um, Psalm 77 is a good example. It's a Psalm of Asaph. Um, and he says, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comfort. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. <clears throat> it's clear that the psalmist is in pain, um, and yet he's not silent, uh, not at all. In fact, it says he cries aloud and that he's moaning when he thinks of God. Um, it's clear that he is experiencing deep pain, um, and he's turning to the Lord with it. Um, I think what I've really been aware of is that it takes faith to pray a lament, um, and it's actually a uniquely Christian thing to do, to cry out to a God that we believe hears us, um, that he cares for us, and that he is personal. Um, praying when we're in pain is an act of faith, um, because we're opening up our hearts to a God who, uh, opening up our hearts um, that are hurting to God, and in many instances, we feel like he's the one who's causing our pain, or we feel like he's at least not ending it. Um, but to not pray at all, to not turn to the Lord, is to despair in silence and hopeless resignation. And I'm sure we know people um, who have been there, or maybe we are people <laughs> who have been there or are there. Um, we stop praying in times of pain. Um, we're prone to give up. I think the Psalms encourage us that we can actually bring our deepest pain, uh, even when we don't know how or, or what to say, um, to bring our darkest questions to the Lord. Uh, and it's not about doing it right, but it's really just about coming. <laughs> how, do we, how do we just come to him and turn to him? Uh, there's something to just getting started, the first cry of naming our pain. Um, for me, it was naming those things that I missed. I think that really opened the door for me. Um, <clears throat> another quote in the book, Pastor James Montgomery Boyce says, doubts are better put into plain speech than lying diffused and darkening like poisonous mist in the heart. A thought, be it good or bad, can be dealt with when it is made articulate. And I think that that's really true. And when we actually start naming those things is when we can actually uh, understand and, and bring them before the Lord. Um, <clears throat> prayer doesn't always bring immediately uh, relief or coming to him doesn't bring immediate relief, but it's an act of faith to simply turn to God and believe that he's there that he wants to hear you. Um, and it takes faith again to pray when we're in pain. And the truth of the Christian life is that believing in a loving God uh, who hears us, who cares for us, it creates challenging questions um, because of the circumstances around us. And so lament provides the opportunity to reorient our hurting heart toward what is true. Um, but the first step has to be coming to him. So, so the first step, um, not step, I guess the first uh, piece that we see in the Psalms is that turning <clears throat> and coming. Uh, the second part is, is bringing our complaint. Um, and I think that this is one that we sometimes think maybe it's not okay to, to really do. But when we read the Psalms of Lament, um, there's a lot of creative complaining. Um, there's expressions of sorrow, fear, and frustration, and confusion. confusion. Um, and really the Bible is full of complaints when you start looking at it, especially the book of Psalms. Uh, and the Psalms teach us that they don't, it doesn't have to be sinful, that it's not sinful, that there are ways in which it's not sinful to complain um, and uh, cry out in our frustration to the Lord. I think what's kind of interesting to me as I think about it is that, um, you know, a lot of this was set to music. So you really had entire congregations that were like singing their frustration to the Lord. Um, I think that one way to think about these lament prayers or songs um, is that they honestly and specifically name something that's painful or wrong <clears throat> or unjust. And they're things that don't align with God's character. They don't feel like they make sense in his kingdom. Um, part of the reason I think uh, that this season is so hard and the things that I was talking about earlier are so painful is, is that it's because we believe the promises in scripture and we believe in a good God 
And we have to fight to trust those things, even through tears at times, um, when things around us don't seem to line up. But again, as Mark said, the lament is a language of people who believe in God's sovereignty, but live in a world with tragedy. And so we bring our complaints to the Lord. Uh, Psalm 10 <clears throat> is a good example of that turning and uh, complaining in one. Um, the psalmist says, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Um, so again, he's, he's deeply struggling, not just with his pain. He's struggling with God. Um, you know, sort of an injustice is one thing, but God's lack of intervention uh, is deeper pain um, that we can relate to, I think, right now, too. Uh, and it's one that creates complaint. Um, these, these questions are all over the Psalms. Um, you can find them <clears throat> everywhere. Why have you forsaken me? Will you forget me forever? Are you sleeping, O Lord? Um, I think the Psalms give us permission and even encouragement to lay out our struggles, even if they're with God himself. Um, something, there's something so helpful, again, in, in sort of naming those things that are specific that are causing us pain. Uh, once I named the things that I miss, it took me to the deeper places, I think, of, of fear and the losses that I was experiencing and the, the things that I was afraid of for my family and, and for myself. Um, getting specific sharpens our prayer, and it helps us even be in touch with what our complaint actually is and what it is that we're longing to see changed. It might start with um, a journal. It might start even just in your own kind of mind, um, but I would just encourage you listing everything that's troubling you, everything that comes to mind that feels wrong or sad or lost. Um, the key really is, is for our hearts to be humble when we complain to the Lord. The, the attitude isn't one of he owes us these things, um, but really it's, it's coming with our pain uh, to him and, and not our pride. Um, and because complaining really isn't an end in itself, complaining, <laughs> this piece of the lament, is really to help us begin to move towards the Lord. Um, you know, it might sound something like, God, it feels like you've abandoned me. God, it feels like you're letting uh, this darkness win. It feels like everything uh, I love is being taken away from me. Um, whatever that is uh, that you need to name, um, I would encourage you to be really specific about it. Uh, there's a third, the third part just really involves asking boldly. It involves confidently calling upon God uh, to act in accordance with his character. Um, this is how lament moves from the why question of complaint to the who question of request. Um, the psalmists are really bold in their requests, and it's because their confidence comes from knowing God's character and understanding who he is and what he can do. Often it's a reflection on what he's done in the past, um, his covenant goodness. Um, I think what's interesting is that usually, maybe always really in the Psalms, that we see the the request that the psalmist makes comes before the why question is answered. Um, and so we, we pour out our complaints and our lists and our not understanding. Um, but, but the next part is to, is to ask, um, and, and maybe we'll never understand. Um, <clears throat> Mark says that the why question and the who questions can coexist, um, but they're not necessarily equal who God is becomes the more prominent reality while not removing the lingering questions. Uh, as we make our bold requests, the why is this happening really moves into the shadow of who God is. Uh, one of the most well-known why questions in the Psalms is Psalm 22. David says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. <clears throat> and we know, uh, probably in the last couple of days, you've read that, um, that Jesus quotes that psalm on the cross. Um, this lament is really striking because immediately following those two really pointed and direct complaints, David actually turns to God's character. He says, yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you. On you I was cast from my birth and from my mother's womb. You have been my God. <clears throat> And the key word in here is the word yet. Uh, it really becomes a bridge that leads from the complaint to the bold request. 
um, in his deep pain and his sense of abandonment. Uh, David anchors his soul to who God is and what he knows he's done for him. Um, the word yet marks the place where our pain and our belief can really coexist. Um, the turn here begins the confidence to ask boldly, despite the fact that we're still sitting in sorrow and grief. Uh, yet means that we, we can choose to keep asking God for help. We can cry out to him for our needs, even when the pain of life is raw. Uh, I think that yet reminds us that sorrow doesn't have to yield before we ask God for help. And then with the character of God in front of his eyes, our thoughts, David makes his bold request um, in 11 through 21. He, he, he says to the Lord, be not far from me. Come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul. Uh, he makes bold requests of the Lord as he knows who he is. Um, but lament in the Psalms is, is really an expansive prayer language. Um, the bold requests that are asked in the Psalms are as diverse as the issues that the people on this call are facing. Um, if you kind of go through uh, in the book, he, he runs through a list of different uh, requests and they range from arise, O Lord, which is really the request to like, Lord, do something um, to grant us help. Uh, remember your covenant. Um, let justice be done. Don't remember our sins. Restore us. Uh, don't be silent. Listen, teach me, vindicate me. And on this side of the cross, uh, Hebrews 4, 16 invites us and even commands us to ask boldly. We're told that we draw, uh, with confidence, we draw near to the throne of grace, that we might find grace and help in times of need. Um, Jesus himself lived a life of lament and is well acquainted with sorrow and injustice and abandonment and loss. And we have direct access to the Father through him. The boldness that we find in scripture in the psalm can give us boldness in our own request to the Lord. The last piece is, is the choosing to trust part, um, so trust. And I think that sometimes, or maybe a lot of times when we're in our grief, we don't feel like we trust the Lord. Um, and this really is that act of faith. Um, by faith, we can choose to live not strictly by how we feel, what we feel like is true, but what we know is true. And that comes from the word of God. Um, it's not just like, well, now I need to suck it up and believe. Um, but it's really about what's looking, uh, looking beyond us, beyond what's in front of us, um, to the God who's revealed himself in scripture, to the God that we just celebrated this weekend, the one who hung on the cross, and who died for our sins. That's truly the way that we understand the love of God for us, not by what's going on around us, by, but by what he's done. Um, Mark says that the prayer language of lament has the possibility of providing a pathway and a language that allows us to deal with the reality of pain, but also refocus on the trustworthiness of God. This is not something that you, obviously we know this, you don't do it just once and then you're good. Um, he uses the, the phrase, grief is not that tame, uh, that we have to enter into lament over and over again so that it leads us over and over again to trusting him. As we talk to God and share our complaints and seek his help, uh, we then can recommit ourselves to believing in who God is and what he's done, even as our pain might continue. Uh, and then we do it again, and then we do it again. Um, he refers to it as active patience. We keep lamenting, we keep coming back to trust. Uh, Psalm 13, <clears throat> one of the shorter Psalms of Lament that's really helpful. David combines his address and his complaint to God in four how long questions. How long will you forget me? Um, and then he turns to his request. It's short, but it's consider and answer me. And then the turn happens and he says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. Um, again, that turning point in the Lament Psalm is, is often marked by a word like but or yet or and. Um, it's a movement uh, from complaint to asking boldly and choosing to trust. And that really means um, just that we believe uh, what we know to be true, even when the facts of suffering might call that into question. Um, I, I appreciated this phrase that a statement of trust anticipates a praise that has not yet arrived. 
and honestly, it may not arrive on this side of on this side of heaven for us. <laughs> um, but when we choose to trust through lament, it means that we can find peace without knowing how all the dots connect. Um, and uh, you know, in life on this side of the cross, we know that the ultimate lament cry uh, came from Jesus's own lips. We referenced it earlier, but it led to the greatest moment of redemption. God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, led from the darkest hour to the empty tomb. And we know the full story. We know that there's hope on the other side of our darkness. Um, we can trust and hope in God's plan uh, because we know the whole story, even as we grieve. Uh, it's a liturgy that we practice every Lent and Easter. We've just gone through this period of darkness um, and, and recognizing the brokenness in our world with our eyes still fixed on the hope that's to come. And I think that just to say this takes different paths for sure, uh, depending on the, the pain, uh, depending on the person. You know, some days you might be able to confidently say it for yourself and, and really believe and trust. Um, but other days you might have to rehearse the promises of scripture. And that's all you can do is cling to what scripture tells us, um, letting the, the word of God give you language um, for, what, for what we know to be true because we don't necessarily feel that way in the moment. It might look like sitting silently before the Lord in exhaustion and pain, but choosing to remain in his presence uh, as an act of trust. The good news to say, though, is that um, we don't walk this path in our own strength. We don't have to muster up um, you know, the, the trust or the turning to him or, um, or the asking boldly. He is the one who helps us to keep trusting him and keep turning to him. Um, John Piper actually said, keep trusting in the one who keeps you trusting. Um, <clears throat> the last thing that I want to communicate um, is that these are like four steps uh, to get through grief. Um, that's not the point at all. I think the truth is that we will experience grief. Um, this pandemic could get worse. It could devastate our lives and our family's lives, people that we love. And the truth is there will likely be even deeper sorrows that we will all experience uh, until the Lord calls us home, until we see him face to face. Uh, I think it's good and right to name the brokenness and the pain that we see. I think that we should be angry and we should be deeply grieved about death and dying, and pain and loss and injustice and suffering. I think that we should long for all things to be healed and made whole. Um, and really it's the language of lament that gives us something to do with our anger and grief in this time. Um, it's my prayer for you and for all of this that we wouldn't run from our grief in this season, um, that we wouldn't try to minimize it or try to dull it, um, but that we would use this prayer language to turn to God, um, to bring our complaints about all that is wrong with what we're experiencing. Um, and that we would boldly ask him for help and specifically ask him for help. I pray that uh, this moves us closer to the Father's heart and deeper into trusting the one who hears our prayers, and the one who holds our tears, and the one who's mighty to save. Um, yeah, I think we have about 15 minutes or so. Um, if there are questions, or thoughts that anybody has. Um, thanks for, yeah, just listening to me share some of my own uh, journey with this. I feel like I'm um, right smack in the middle of it. So uh, yeah, I welcome just any, any thoughts that you guys have or anything that you're dealing with as well. <clears throat> Melissa, thanks so much for sharing. Um, I was wondering, if you've given any thought to the relationship between anger and lament, um, and I know you used the word anger a couple times, and, and the psalmist seems seems angry, but um, yeah, what what place does anger have in, in relationship to, um, or you know, does it come before or after lament, or um, yeah, I mean, have you felt angry? How yeah, yeah thought about that. Yeah, I would welcome anybody else's input on that too. I think. Um, yeah, I think that anger, I mean, you know, scripture tells us to be angry and not to sin in our anger. Um, I think that, I think that as I, I kind of process that, um, 
I think that there is something to that piece of, of what humility looks like in our hearts that, that we, um, yeah, that, that we can be angry, especially over the things that, that aren't just, that are, are not the way, um, you know, that, uh, that God intended the, the, the brokenness and how it's, um, impacted our lives and in our world. Um, I think that, yeah, that there is a place for anger over those things. Um, I think that when it comes to being before the Lord, there's a humility. There needs to be a humility in our, our hearts toward that. Like, again, sort of not like you owe us, um, you owe me something or, um, or you have done something wrong, but, uh, like, yeah, I, I don't know, just more of a, a humility and, and, uh, bringing that in front of him. I don't, yeah, I'd love to hear anybody else's thoughts there, Joel or Sully or, um, well, I, I think um, I think Job can maybe help us a lot here, uh, j- just because we obviously have a lot of we have so much context for what um, for what he said. So with David, often in the Psalms, sometimes we can piece together what's going on, uh, but other times it's difficult to know. Okay, what what's kind of behind this? But Job certainly is mad. Um, he, he is sad, but he is, he's angry. If you, you read his laments, you read his questions, he is, he is very upset, um, with the Lord. But two things I think that are important to, to recognize with Job, uh, which is one, um, if you think back to the beginning of the book, when his wife tells him to curse God and die, he refuses to curse God. So there, there is a step where your anger can actually turn into some kind of um, cursing of the Lord that, uh, that I think would, move Job, would have moved Job into sin. Uh, the other thing that's really interesting is that at the end of the book of Job, God actually says explicitly that Job has not sinned in all that he said. A lot of times when I hear people talk about Job, they're like, well, Job, Job didn't get it. Job was wrong. And there's some truth to that. Job didn't understand certain things or he didn't really get it. But God does not blame him or get upset with him for Job basically venting his frustration that this is unjust. This is not fair. I have not done anything. You need to tell me. And while God doesn't actually tell him, uh, so Job never finds out. We get way more information than Job does. Job never finds out that there was like this deal with Satan or something like that. Um, And yet God is not upset with Job's questioning. Um, uh, he doesn't think it's sinful. He might be like, hey, like I'm God and you just need to accept that, uh, which is basically what his answer is. But um, I think that we need to recognize that, yeah, anger and actually venting our frustration to the Lord while not crossing the line into cursing God, um, I think is, is, is appropriate. And it's something that you see the psalmists do um, often, but they will not move to a, to a level of actually then saying that like you aren't holy, you aren't good. Uh, even if they will say you've done this to me and I don't get it. Um, cause God did do that to Job, even though Satan had a deal with them. The, 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 the language is very explicit that God is actually the one who carries it out, uh, which is jarring to think through what does that mean? So I think there is a place for it that that's not wrong, uh, but there's a way that it can move into to sin as well. Any other thoughts or questions or yeah, things that people are kind of processing uh, along these lines? One verse that has come to mind a number of times recently from Psalm 119 is this. I know, Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. And the idea that that our affliction, that... That, that God in his faithfulness afflicts us in a variety of ways and that our affliction isn't evidence of his abandonment, but of his faithfulness because it, it, it forces us to be in, in a position of dependence on him. And as Joel said a number of times, the, the suffering we experience, um, God can use to show us that it is worth the cost of knowing him as savior. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's really good. Um, The second part, uh, I I shared a bunch from the first part of the 
book that I was reading, but the second part, he, he walks through Lamentations and even talks about um, lament being a teacher. Um, and so even just what you were saying that, uh, that we learn how to lament, but we also learn from lament. Um, we learn uh, in some ways uh, what our, where, where our hope has been lying. Uh, we learn what our, our idols are. Um, we learn to, to value the things uh, that God does. Um, <clears throat> yeah, we, we learn a lot about ourselves and about him as we lament. So, yeah. Any other thoughts? Well, well, just one thing, Melissa, I think that's been so helpful with the way that you've kind of helped me think through this. And I think it can be easy that like, okay, yeah, God afflicts us and that's, that's good for us, that we can then feel as if we shouldn't be sad about it or upset. But actually, while scripture does say, yeah, we should recognize that God's loving us, it is still right to cry and to mourn and to grieve what the Lord is actually doing, even if it's for our good. That th Those don't need to contradict one. I think I'm wrestling with a little bit and just listening to everything is as you go through the process you described, Melissa, is there, and the fact that we may have to do it multiple times, is there a way we should be comforted in hearing about this process? Well, I mean, um, yeah, I, I think in some ways, like it is, it is the process that uh, that can bring comfort. Um, uh, I think. I think I'm, I, and this isn't necessarily what you're saying. I think that a lot of times I can sort of look for an end point. Like what is the thing that is just going to make this go away? <laughs> um, which is where then, you know, I can turn to just working or Netflix or whatever it is. Um, but I think, I think a lot of this is like, this is part of living and the brokenness of the world and of choosing to, to trust the Lord in it. So I don't know that I'm answering your question, but I think that I think that comfort for me comes in um, in knowing maybe that there's something to do with uh, with my grief um, beyond just trying to like self medicate. Uh, that there's a posture of sitting with the Lord in it, um, and that each time I do it, I, I I do come through to a point of trust, uh, even though it's something that I have to continually do over and over. Um, I think there's something in in the process that. Um, maybe has brought me comfort in a lot of ways because it's it's outside of myself uh, because other, otherwise I'm just looking to myself or, or things around me to um, yeah to make me feel better um, but this is really about you know focusing on who the Lord is and um, and and yeah his character and his love for us I don't know if that's answering your question at all I think we're close to wrapping up here, but just if there's any any other thoughts or questions or ways that you're finding comfort in this season or finding the Lord or lamenting. <clears throat> can't tell if my computer is frozen. Melissa? Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, I did want to share something that I, I learned um, through actually reading uh, through the book of Habakkuk um, and just kind of in my own process of learning how to uh, deal with my own grief and, and pain um, and my own complaints, right? How to how to do that and not uh, do it with, um, you know, a sinful heart or heart um, that isn't good for God. But one of the things I learned, like one of his first questions says, why do you make me see iniquity? Um, and it just really uh, made me understand that sometimes, even if we're not going through the suffering ourselves, um, for those people that are, you know, like you mentioned, you, sometimes your heart just hurts and feels sad for strangers that you see that are dying alone or going through things alone, um, especially right now. And it really taught me that, you know, God 
allows us to see those things because he wants to use it for his glory. Um, and it's so beautiful when he can, you know, it, it, it's hard because we're thinking, well, why do you let me see that? Why do you let me feel so sad and, and, you know, feel so much pain, but God can use that to then move us into prayer. And maybe that's, you know, needed. Maybe those are people that don't have anyone else to intercede for them in prayer or anything else. And, you know, God can just move our hearts to really uh, feel for them and, and pray for them on their behalf and care for them in a way that, you know, I think God calls the church to do for the world. Um, so even in that, like even in just seeing the iniquity and the sorrow that's out in the world, I think, um, you know, seeing that even that God uses, uh, you, you know, even that God has a plan for that sorrow and that pain that we yep. feel. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think our hearts can be broken for the things that, that break his heart and uh, his people for sure. Um, and that's a, a hard thing, uh, but it's, it's, a, it's a good thing. Um, okay. Um, Sully or Joel, would you guys, one of you want to pray and, uh, we can, we can close the call. Sure. I'll close this in prayer. I need to think. Uh, gracious father, thank you, Lord, again, for the insights that Melissa shared with us. Father, we, um, Lord, we come to you because you are the God who hears our prayers, who, who can do something about, um, our heartache, who can do something about the pain and, and loss that, that we're experiencing. So we, we cry out to you and we, we turn to you as Melissa has, has, has explained, Lord, that you are a God who, um, Lord has all things, uh, in your hand that you are, you are good and in control. And even though for the times they can, we can be tempted to doubt those two truths, Lord, would you, um, would you equip us with your word and with your spirit, um, to be able to combat those lies, uh, so that discouragement, um, but Father, I pray by, by the whole, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we might turn to you in prayer that we would, um, Lord, we we would uh, seek you as um, Lord our refuge in the midst of this time. So, uh, thank you, Father, for being a God who has entered into our grief. Um, and Lord, I pray that in light of Easter on Sunday, that Lord, we would be, we would, we would mourn, but we would not mourn as people without hope. Um, and so, I pray that the resurrection hope would be very tangible. Um, for each one of us, and that it would it would be a reality that impacts our everyday life. So, we thank you for this time that we've been able to gather, and I, I pray that you would um, you would continue to to meet us in prayer and, and uh, in community. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much, everybody. Thanks everybody for being here.